You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, Episode 91. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Our Take segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we answer a timely question on Afria Inc., symbol APHA on the TSX, a licensed Canadian-based cannabis producer. It is one of the largest cannabis stocks in Canada based on revenue and market cap. James from Abbotsford emailed in a question about Afria. He wants to know why the stock has lost so much value and what our outlook is on the next 12 to 24 months on the stock. Our dog of the week is GNC Holdings, Inc., symbol GNC on the New York Stock Exchange. The company is engaged in the global retail of health, wellness, and performance products, including vitamins, minerals, and herbal supplements, products, sports, nutrition products, and diet products. The stock was down 14% in the last week and is down 24% in the past year. Our star of the week is well-known to Keystone clients, Aritzia, Inc., having been in our Canadian growth stock portfolio for just over a year now. Aritzia, symbol ATZ on the TSX, is a vertically integrated, innovative, in-store and online fashion retailer selling its own brands. The company currently operates 67 boutiques in Canada and 27 boutiques in the United States. Better than expected Q3 earnings boosted the stock over 20% to start this week, and the stock is up over 45% in the past year. So that's going to get us right into our show this week. I'd like to welcome my co-hosts, uh, Brennan and Aaron. How are you guys doing? Well, I'm a little uh, a little disappointed that I didn't get a snow day yesterday, to be honest with you. Yes. I sure had a snow yes. day in Saskatchewan, that's for sure. We have over... <laughs> Uh, a couple feet, honestly, out in the, in the back so, golf course. So how crazy. how many how many inches do you have to get in Saskatoon for to get a snow day? Well, I mean, we never truly. I think get it's a about snow a half day, inch in Vancouver. Maybe yeah, maybe well, a half centimeter. We get a half an Vancouver. inch here, and and in be and we're in Vancouver, and uh, the the entire city shuts down. I think we two have or three like snow two plows. And people start getting worried. Oh yes, how about, yeah, how without about a doubt. I mean, Brennan? oh, I don't know. Honestly, I cannot remember the last time that, you know, the kids got a snow day. Um, but, you know, with that being said, it is so cold here right now. Um, I think this week it's supposed to hit minus 40 with a wind chill. So uh, people are, are really bundled up and, you know, not really going out. I think that, you know, like even for recess and stuff like that for uh, or at schools, um, you know, they don't even let the kids go outside. It's like you spend your recess indoors just because it is so cold. So uh, that's kind of what we have in Saskatchewan, I guess, a little bit uh, more than a snow day. But uh, but yeah, I can't remember the last time that we we ever had one. Yeah, to us, that sounds crazy. This is the, I mean, we hate to say it, but this is the first time we this winter we've dropped below zero and we hit, uh, I think, minus six. So 
for us, we saw our first uh, little dusting of white stuff on the road. So, uh, yeah, the kids were hoping for a snow day. We didn't get it. Uh, and Aaron was hoping just as much, I think. Right, Aaron? So. Uh, well, more so. More so. <laughs> yeah, more so, I think. So we're going to get, we hope we can get there maybe a couple of days. I mean, it's cold enough right now. We just need some rain. Vancouver gets enough rain. Then we could get the snow and uh, the kids get a snow day. And uh, that's a more difficult day for me. But Aaron loves it. So let's move into the show. We're going to start off uh, with a timely question here. It's time we answer a question on your stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. Comes with uh, from a listener in Abbotsford. Thanks for your question. He emailed in about Afria. He wants to know, it's James. He wants to know why the stock has lost so much value uh, and what our outlook is over the past or the next 12 to 24 months coming forward. The company Afria Inc., symbol APHA on the TSX. Aaron, why don't you take that? Certainly. So Afria, uh, it's trading at about $6.70 today. It is a $1.7 billion market cap company. Afri is a licensed Canadian-based cannabis producer. It's one of the largest cannabis stocks in Canada or even the world, really, based on revenue and market cap. The company has previously disclosed plans to ramp up its production to up to 250,000 kilograms per year of cannabis over the next several years. Our listener is correct that Afria has lost a tremendous amount of value over the last year. The stock price reached around $20 uh, at the time of legalization in October 2018, and since then has declined over 75%. This is nothing specific to Afria as these kinds of losses, or even much worse losses, have been seen in nearly every single cannabis stock listed in Canada. It's good timing to talk about Afria right now because Keystone just recently released our 2020 Cannabis Investor Report. A common theme among cannabis stocks continues to be a lack of profitability, missing targets, and reducing guidance. Uh, Afria is clearly being no exception here. The company just recently, re- well, just reported this morning on January 14th its fiscal Q2 2020 results. Afria Afri reported net revenue of $120 million. This was an increase of 457% compared to the same quarter a year ago, but a sequential decline from $126 million um, in the previous quarter, fiscal Q1. Revenue underperformed analyst expectations. Analysts were expecting about $130 million in revenue for the quarter. Afria also downgraded its 2020 revenue outlook to between $575 million to $625 million, which compares to its previous outlook of between $650 to $700 million. Afria, like nearly all of its peers, continues to lose money. The company reported negative cash flow of $71 million for the first six months of the fiscal year. And the company's stock price was down 6% today after the release of the results. Our take is that we would continue to steer clear of Afria and about 99% of cannabis stocks. As I mentioned, Keystone just released its 2020 Cannabis Investor Report, which is a comprehensive update to our report cannabis investor report which were released last year just after legalization within this research we analyze the entire market and we also analyze every single cannabis stock trading on canadian exchanges which is currently about 215 companies i won't get into the details of the report 
But one of our conclusions is that there is a massive supply-demand imbalance brewing. Essentially, there are too many companies and too much potential supply chasing a limited domestic market. This was something that we highlighted in our 2019 report, which was released, as I said, just after legalization in October 2018. And since then, the top 10 cannabis stocks have lost, on average, 60% of their market value. We continue to see a huge amount of risk in this sector. Looking at Afria specifically, while the revenue growth year over year is very impressive, the quarter over quarter drop shows that this revenue growth is slowing and potentially even starting to decline. The company is far from profitability and continues to lose tens of millions in cash flow on a quarterly basis. Afria does not does report quarters which appear to be profitable to the untrained eye, but the reality is that any profit they have reported has been the result of non-cash changes in the fair value of biological assets. This is not real profit. Our 2020 Cannabis Investor Report provides a comprehensive analysis of the top stocks uh, based on financial success as well as the key risks and opportunities facing the sector overall. There are a very small number of companies out of the 250 stock group that are transitioning or have transitioned into profitability, and we were able to identify two stocks that we recommended to our clients as high-risk investments. As well, we were able to identify a third company that we are monitoring very closely and could potentially be a recommendation in the near future. Yeah, I think it's a good uh, summary on Afria and a a good look, uh, kind of a preview into our our cannabis report that we just released, uh, which, you know, this segment, uh, we were looking to see if we could identify some babies that are getting thrown out with the bathwater, see if there are some companies uh, in there that are profitable and offer decent valuations. Overall, like Aaron said, we continue to see this sector to have well above average levels of risk despite the drops in valuations and drops in share prices that you've seen almost across the board in this sector. Aaron said we did identify two stocks, high risk, potential for high reward, but certainly high risk, but they do offer some profitability and some more reasonable valuations, particularly when you compare them to their peers in this sector. One would be kind of a deep value situation, high risk, and the other one is more of a leader dominating a market, and uh, which offers some value, at least based on its existing profitability and uh, growth forecast going forward. So, you know, it's a sector that we continue to tread very lightly. And on legalization, we recommended not touching the sector. Uh, that was uh, just over a year ago now. Um, it's been a great call on the segment. It was, we've seen a massive destruction of capital. Uh, there may be, when you see some blood in the streets, some opportunities now. We're trying to scour the market. Like we said, we went through all 250 companies in the segment to try to en- identify some companies that have some profitability and trade at relatively reasonable valuations. We'll see a year out from this report where we are with those uh, two buy situations. So uh, we can move to our weekly dog from our stars and dog segment. It's time for this week's dog. <laughs> That would be GNC Holdings Inc. GNC on the New York Stock Exchange. Brennan, let's have you take that one. Thank you. Okay, so GNC is currently trading at a price of US $2.26 and has a market cap of around $194 million. So 
as you said earlier, Ryan, GNC Holdings engages in the global retail of health, wellness, and performance products. Um, and as well, they do, or their their business model does generate revenue uh, through its own company-owned stores, uh, domestic and international franchise activities, third-party contract manufacturing, uh, and e-commerce and wholesale partnerships. So the stock was down around 14% in the last week and down over tw- uh, 24% this past year. Since the stock's 2016 highs of around $35, the share price has slid around 93%, destroying investor capital. So what's driving the stock here? Uh, it does appear that the company's poor financial performance has been driving the stock lower. Uh, looking at these financial results for Q3 2019, which was released October 25th, 2019, revenue decreased 14% to $499 million compared to the same quarter last year. EBITDA increased 10% to $35.12 million. And fully diluted loss per share was $0.09 cents per share compared to a loss of $0.10 cents per share for Q3 of 2018. Now, looking a little longer term, the company's long-term financials are quite worrying as well, with 12 trailing month revenue decreasing 9% period over period. Well, the company is very indebted. Uh, they do have net debt of $736 million and a net debt to EBITDA ratio of five times. So the company is clearly having a tough time paying off its debt going forward here. Um, And also something to note, in late 2016, GNC even turfed its quarterly dividend, uh, signaling that management knew tough times were ahead for the company. On a valuation basis, the company looks very cheap with an EV to EBITDA multiple, that's enterprise value to EBITDA, uh, of 6.3 times. But of course, considering its plummeting revenue and decreasing net income, the company is anything but cheap. It isn't hard to spot that this is a stock you want to avoid at all costs and serves as a good lesson of what can happen to a once booming business dominating its market. GNC operates in a very competitive landscape with few barriers to entry, allowing everyone from Costco to boutique supplement shops to compete. I like Warren Buffett's term of an economic moat, which is a business's ability to maintain maintain its competitive advantage over competitors in order to protect its profits and market share. GNC has no economic moat, and it now appears to be paying so financially. Considering the stock's poor performance, its further slide this week and month make it our dog of the week, and possibly, you know, I could even say dog of the decade. Yeah, declining revenues, no profit. Uh, it certainly would mark our criteria for a dog. Uh, you know, like you said, on a valuation basis, maybe it might look a bit attractive. But anytime you have declining revenues, declining profitability, and high debt levels, um, valuation aside, uh, when you have those things declining, certainly looks like a, uh, a stock that we would avoid, continue to avoid. And certainly when there is no profitability, we, we would avoid it just based yeah. on that basis alone. But one, one point I wanted to make here that I thought was interesting because GNC within the nutritional supplement space is obviously a, a very well-known name. Uh, and as you said, Brennan, it used to dominate the market. Um, I was doing uh, recently some research on Johnson & Johnson, which is a major global consumer products and pharma company. And they have some, some incredibly um, well-entrenched brands um, like Listerine, um, Reactin, Benadryl, Band-Aid, like a lot of different, uh, a lot of different brands in the consumer product space. And one thing that they were saying um, is that the current trend is, 
you know, in the past, when you have, you know, your strong branding in these consumer products, you have your distribution, your manufacturing infrastructure all in place, that was a major competitive advantage. But that competitive advantage is now deteriorating for virtually any company because nowadays um, you're able to market new niche products and new niche brands through avenues like social media. Um, there's all sorts of logistical frameworks in place so that you can you can you can deal with distribution, you can deal with manufacturing overseas and produce your product cheaply and distribute it cheaply and efficiently. So this means that a lot of smaller companies, a lot of niche companies are coming out with these new um, these new consumer products and they're able to actually compete with the big boys and start to deteriorate their market share. So I don't know, I don't know anything about the, the, the nutritional supplement space um, or whether or not GNC is being disrupted in this way, but that was something interesting because Johnson and Johnson is an absolute beast in that space. Um, And, and, and they were saying that they're essentially being disrupted on that basis that nowadays with technology, you can, a small company can can start to wear away their market share. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely, and that's a great point. Because, like, in my opinion, GNC right now is you know they're they're competing with those niche companies. Like for for example, in Saskatoon, there's a a local created uh, company called Supplement World, and he's now expanded to Edmonton and throughout Saskatchewan. But what they're really doing is using social media to engage, um, you know, just people and getting, um, uh, I guess. Uh, you know, actual bodybuilders and whatnot to promote their products. And, you know, of course, that's resonating with uh, people that are in the fitness world a lot better than, you know, this large, you know, GNC, which is kind of a a corporate suit kind of company, Um, you know, or at least that's how I see it. But uh, but yeah, that's, you know, a good point with these uh, niche niche players really, really taking a piece. It's something to watch out for if you're investing in one of these older um, dominant companies is you really have to test whether or not that brand has staying power and whether or not they're going to be able to maintain their dominance in this new market economy, quickly evolving economy. Yeah, and I think it is an exciting time when somebody's or, you know, companies, smaller companies are able to compete on a certain level with some brands that uh, really were impenetrable um, for decades. And, uh, you know, you're able to use social media to create a following behind a brand. And um, if the product is good, get it out there and uh, and really, you know, create a following in a different way than was ever possible in the past. And, you know, disrupting some of these large entrenched brands. And it is quite interesting that that is able to happen at this time. Now we're going to look at our weekly star from our Stars and Dogs segment. It's time for this week's star. Star. That would be no stranger to uh, Keystone clients out, out there. This company has been in our Canadian small cap and growth stock coverage for over a year now. The company is called Aritzia Inc., Symbol ATZ on the TSX, trading right now around $23.60, market cap of about $2.6 billion. What does the company do? Aritzia is a vertically integrated, innovative in-store and online retail fashion operation with its own brands. The company currently operates 67 boutiques in Canada and 27 in the U.S., Why is it a star? Well, this past week alone, uh, it jumped 21% and is up over 45% in the past year since we recommended it to clients. 
what is driving the stock? Aritzia's Q3 fiscal 2020 uh, reported numbers were better than expected and have driven the stock to new highs. Adjusted net income came in at 32 cents, up from 31. Analysts were looking at relatively flat growth uh, just for 31 cents, but the company beat that. Revenues uh, were up to 267.3 million compared to 242.9 million a year or earlier. Analysts had expected 266.2 million on average. And comparable same store sales were up 5.1%, driven by the strength of the company's e commerce business, strong US growth, and the performance of its boutique network across Canada and the US. So net revenues overall were up 10% in Q3. Uh, in conclusion, in the quarter, Aritzia also launched its first foray, foray into men's outerwear with its men's puff jacket, and that jacket sold out, so it was better than expected demand there. The company achieved meaningful e-commerce revenue growth through increase is in both traffic and transactions in Canada and the U.S., and on a geographic basis, momentum in the U.S. market continued. Revenue in the U.S. was up 28% year over year. For us, the U.S. market continues to be a key expansion area long term, both online and in uh, geographic regions where the company is underserved right now. We, we just released, our Keystone just released our full update to clients with our near and long term ratings on the stock going forward after the jump in the share price. But the 20% jump in the stock over the past week and the 40-plus percent jump in the stock over the past year give Aritzia claim to our coveted status of star of the week. Well, a- excellent recommendation there for, for Keystone's clients. One thing I'll say, Ryan, is I know that we, we've discussed it a lot, and I know that generally speaking, n- neither of us are really that excited about retail stocks. <laughs> I would agree, um, yeah. But you uh, you decided to recommend uh, Aritzia in, in the small cap research, and I'm just wondering, what is it that really stood out to you about the company that caused you to recommend it? That's an awesome question. Like, I think the consistent track record of growth obviously has to be there, and, and you look at it over like its 17, 20-year-plus history. Uh, the growth in terms of revenue and underlying profitability, cash generation was all there the way we like it. It was growth at a relatively reasonable price when it traded at you know, the $16 range when we originally recommended it. It still offers likely that going forward. But the other thing, uh, like one of the things that stood out to me was this company uh, in its history has never closed a location. So they go into a market, they dominate it, and they continue to dominate it over the long term. Um, I know that you know when we look at retail stocks on an annual basis, if you know we look at every company in Canada and three to four thousand in the US, there's a number of retailers that we come across. There's always a line item that had you know has how many stores they open this year and how many they close. So you're looking at a net to see whether there's growth or anything in the business. Uh, this company never has a line item that says how many we closed in a year. They refresh stores, obviously, but they've never closed a boutique. Um, that is a tremendous feather in management's cap. I think they go into markets. Uh, they don't uh, just, you know, go. They go into markets with a strategic plan where they know they can be successful. They build up demand now in advance with their e-commerce sales, and there's demand in store, and they kind of have a partnership between their in- e-commerce brand in a market and their uh, on-store, on-site locations. I think they do a good job there. 
and we believe, you know, they're going to generate a good solid uh, level of cash flow going forward that will allow them to expand out of internally generated cash flow, not by going to the market and papering the market with shares. So, you know, it checks off a lot of ba- boxes. They also own their own brands, so they have more control within stores. So there's a number of reasons there. Uh, having said all of that, like fashion can be fickle, which is very, you know, one of the reasons why we don't like the segment. And, you know, if somehow the market was to sour on Aritzia's brand and its individual brands, you know, it would be a time to look at potentially exiting the story. But they've been around now for decades. Uh, the momentum continues to build. They operate well with um, some, you know, they have great influencers, social influencers. They've been smart uh, uh, partnering in that uh, respect uh, on their last conference call. And, and I monitor their social media feeds, which is, uh, I think it's driving my uh, social media uh, market or the algorithm on social media on Facebook and Twitter crazy because suddenly I'm on a woman's fashion site. But, but anyways, but... Um, they, you know, they had a, they sent off a bag with Kim Kardashian's face on it uh, to Kim, and you know, she tweeted it out with this massive picture of her face at Christmas, and it's a very smart idea to do that. Uh, she has billions of followers, basically, and that goes out to them, and uh, and uh, you know, you you get the Aritzia brand uh, basically marketed out uh, uh, from your social influencer there uh, at a relatively low price, obviously. Sending her a bag is not a high price. So, uh, yeah, they do a lot of things right. And as long as they continue to do that and trade at relatively reasonable valuations, uh, we've just updated our client on our current feelings on the stock, whether or not it's a buy, sell, or hold. So become a client and you can have access to uh, that research today. And I think that's going to close out our show for this week. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Brennan and Aaron, and I'd like to wish all of our clients and all of our listeners out there profitable investing. Thank you. Thank you, profitable investing. Thank you.